Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We'll look at Galatians 1, verses 10 through 16. So let's read that passage together this morning. Galatians 1, starting in verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ." For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions." But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, had called me, through His grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. We'll stop there this morning. Let's pray over our passage. God, I want to thank You for salvation that we find in Jesus Christ alone. And God, I, I thank you that because of Christ, we, we are unique. I mean, we are unique just because you created us unique, but, but in Christ, there is even more of that. And I thank you that we are not like the world. I thank you that we, are, we, we stand apart in Christ, that the hope we have in Christ and the the peace that we have and the forgiveness we have, the salvation we have creates something special in us and we thank you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you like to watch the Antique Roadshow? Anybody like to watch the Antique Roadshow? Yeah. Um, we, we have watched it, uh, Rhonda and I, we don't as much as we used to, but the fun part of the show is trying to figure out if that trinket that they're talking about is going to be worth something or if they got taken at some uh, yard sale or something like that. Is it worth less than they paid for it or is it going to make them rich? You know, what, whatever. We, we look at that. Collectibles are an interesting topic. You know, is this something collectible or is it not? You might have heard the saying, I was a millionaire until my mom threw away my comic books, right? Or I was a millionaire until my mom threw away my baseball cards, whatever it was, whatever collectible you had. And that was like your, when you were eight, that was your like retirement program, right? I'm going to save this and be a millionaire at some time. But that's truer than you might imagine. The most valuable comic book that you could collect is Action One Action comic number one from June 1938. It was the comic book that had the original appearance of Superman, 
right on the cover. He's lifting a car. And that, that has, a copy of that has sold recently in 2014 for $3.2 million. That's, you know, your mom threw out your, your comic books, and you're like, ah, oh, mom, what'd you do? Um, baseball cards. If baseball cards were your thing, the most valuable baseball card is the 1909 Onus Wagner second base Pittsburgh Pirates card. Originally, when you bought the card, it came free in a pack of cigarettes, not bubblegum cigarettes, from the American Tobacco Company. And, and that's where his, his uh, card first came out. And he, he did not like that. I don't know why, but he told the American Tobacco Company, quit sending my cards out. And so there was somewhere between 25 and 200 of these cards that were made of Onus Wagner, second base in the Pittsburgh Pirates. That baseball card today is worth $3 million. So if your mom threw out your Superman comic and your Onus Wagner baseball card, you lost $6 million right there. Boom. Um, so, you know, we think about these astronomical numbers and we're like, why would someone pay something for that? Why are those things that valuable? And when you're looking at collectibles, there's three aspects. This is not about collectibles, but I'll just kind of give you some information. They first talk about the historical value of this item. Whatever this item is, they want to know, is it connected to a historical event or not? Is, that helps us know if that's collectible. The issue also is rarity. Um, how many of the items were made? How many are left? That helps get increase. And then there's also an uh, attribute of the collectible that's called the capriciousness of that collectible. It's something you can't anticipate. It is, it is the uh, something that's connected to a tragedy or uh, some act of notoriety or a celebrity used it. I mean, a ballpoint pen isn't all that valuable, but if a president used it to sign some sort of significant peace treaty, all of a sudden that has some historicity. It's rare because the president had it, and it's got that uniqueness about it, that capriciousness. All of these things mean that those items are unique. A pen is one thing, but a pen that was signed by a president for a peace treaty, that makes that a very unique pen. And because they're unique, they're valuable. And that's the, that's the theme of the sermon today. Not collectibles, but us. You know, in the first two chapters of Galatians, Paul is defending the uniqueness of the true gospel, that this is not the same message as Judaism. It is not a message of God. Of works. It is not legalism. It is unique. It is different than all the other false religions. And then he also is defending himself as a true minister. And so Paul addressed his standing as a true minister. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then we talked about the dangers of false teaching last week. And now he begins his defense by comparing these two groups, the true ministers, the false teachers, and, and since us believers believe in a true gospel, we are unique. We are set apart. We are different. We're different from those that are trusting the false gospel. So Paul tells us we're different. There's three aspects I want to talk about, the difference that we should have as believers. And the first is that we have a unique desire. We should have a unique desire, something that's different than the rest of the world. Look in verse 10 again and read what it says. He says, Now, for, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So remember where we're coming from. The false teachers were saying you have to become a Jewish person first. You have to come into Judaism. You have to be circumcised, and then you can be a believer. There is this religious act you have to do. There is this work that you must complete. There is something you must do first, and then you can come to know Christ. 
It is this work-based religion. And they were saying, this is the way that comes to Christ. And, and we would find also that Paul, and, and specifically that work was circumcision. And Paul was saying, no, you don't have to be circumcised. You have direct access to Christ. He is, he, when he died on the cross, he ripped open the veil, and, and we have direct access to the Father. And the Jewish people were saying, well, he's just saying that so the gospel sounds good to Gentiles, because Gentiles said, I don't want to be circumcised. And he says, Paul is just trying to please people. That's what the false teachers were, t- were, were conf- uh, uh, accusing him of being. And Paul said that the circumcision wasn't needed because that's what the gospel is about. It's not about our work. It's about Christ's work on the cross. And they were accusing him of the man-reader. And so Paul makes it clear first here that our desire is not to please men. Our desire isn't to please men. Our goal in life isn't to be liked by the multitudes. We are to be obedient to one. We have an audience of one that we want to please, and that is the Lord. And Paul says this in verse 10. Essentially, he says, If I'm such a man-pleaser, do man-pleasers announce anathemas against those who who are false teachers? Remember, he just said in verses 8 and 9 that if anyone preaches any gospel different than what he is preaching, other than the real gospel, what Paul's preaching, they are to be accursed, anathema, damned, doomed to eternal damnation. This is not the words of someone who wants to win friends and influence people. He's not saying this to create warm fuzzies and get as many people to like him. He is saying the truth, and he's telling them, if I wanted to please people, I wouldn't be pronouncing anathemas here. Now, that doesn't mean that when we go out and preach the gospel, we're to be crusty, mean, nasty people, right? Like, I don't care if people don't like me. I'm just going to go out there and just be as mean as possible. And if they like me, great. And if they don't, tough luck. That is not. Paul says in a different place in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I am free from all men, that is, I'm not ruled by whether or not they like me. He says, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. He wanted to be, he, he, there, he was not there to please people. He was not enslaved to whatever whim they wanted him to do. But he said, I will voluntarily lay down my preferences, and I will voluntarily lay down what I desire so that some people will come to Christ. He made himself a slave to all in order to win them. And all that means is as followers of Christ, the love of Christ needs to come into us and flow out of us. We should be pleasant and friendly people. Doesn't mean that we're wishy-washy. I don't mean that. But we shouldn't be the meanest people that are on our block, you know. We shouldn't be the, the crustiest people that someone has talked to today. The grace of Christ should come out of us. Our God poured his love onto us, and our God is control of this world, and he walks with us and empowers us for life. So what do we have to gripe and be miserable about, right? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, when we preach the gospel, 
No matter how winsome and kind we are, there will be people who don't like us. I've been more than once called, oh, you Bible thumper. It's not, not, no matter how nice I was, it was names called against you, um, shoved up when I was younger against school lockers. Uh, and, you know, there, there are people who will not respond kindly, no matter how kindly you present the gospel but we need to remember they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord. They're rejecting eternal life. They're rejecting forgiveness. And so that we, we cannot make sure, you know, we, we can't say making sure we please people be number one on our ministry list. That's not what we're out to do. We're not to make people we're not out. This church's mission is not to make people think we're really great people. That's not the goal. It's not for people to see us and think, boy, Christianity's cool. That is not our goal. Our goal is to make sure people come face to face with Jesus Christ and be changed through that. Our desire is not to please men. and start, Instead, our desire is to please God, he says. Am I seeking the favor of men or of God? We serve one master. And when we try, to, we, we try to live our life by pleasing men and God, we'll have a hundred different masters pulling us a hundred different ways. If we are people pleasers, we will not please anyone, not even the Lord. As followers of Jesus... We are to have one master. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And later James would say it even a little bit more drastically. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the contrast we see in 110. Paul says, if I am pleasing people, I am not a bondservant of Christ because I serve one master. I either serve the whim of culture, whatever that is, this second, because it changes immediately, or I serve the steadfast one Lord who never changes. We have one master. See, the bondservant here, and this is, this is awesome, I think. When, we, when he says, I would... I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That word bondservant, it's a slave, but it's not the slave in the sense that we think of, of slavery in our history. This is someone who knows they cannot make it on their own. Whatever happened, they, they don't have enough money, they don't have enough land, they don't have enough resources to make it, but they go to someone they know is who's going to take good care of them, and they say, I will voluntarily give myself into your service as your slave, as your servant, and I will serve you because I know you will take care of me, and you will pay me, and you will give me the food I need, and I know that my master will take care of me. That is a bond servant. He came voluntarily to serve because he knows this master is going to treat him well. And so he would give up his rights and he'd give up his privileges. And, he didn't, and when he was a bondservant of this guy, he didn't care what anyone else wanted. If his master said, go to the store and pick up this item, and he goes to the store and picks up the item, and people say, you shouldn't buy that, he doesn't care what they say because his master said, you need to go do this. And so he would pick it up because he had one person to please that day, and that was his master. That is what Paul says our relationship with Christ is. Voluntarily coming to someone and saying, I am laying down my rights and my privileges and what I want. 
Because I'm going to serve a good master who will take care of me, everything that I need, and I don't care what everyone else has to say. People saying, you need to think this, or talk this way, or think this way, or say this. It's like, I don't care what the culture is trying to push on me. My master says, this is sin, and this is not sin. And my master says, this is truth, and this is lies. And we follow that master. But when a believer or there's a church that spends time, spends their time trying to please the world instead of their master, they end up in ridiculous positions, they end up in dangerous positions, and things just don't work right. It's a story of, a, of an elderly man, a, a, a fable or a, a parable. Elderly man who was traveling with a boy and his donkey. And they walked through the village, and the man was leading the donkey, and the boy was walking behind. And, the, and so there was the man, the donkey, and the boy. And the elderly, uh, the people in the town said, well, this man's a fool because you're not the donkey. So the old man decided, well, I guess I'll ride the donkey. So he hops on the back of the donkey and he leaves and goes to the next village. In the next village, they said, that old man is mean. They're making that little boy walk around all by himself. So he gets off and he puts the little boy on and they, they walk to the next village. Well, they start the next village, they criticize this young boy. Well, the boy... Why isn't he making this old man walk? He should be the one. So the old man says, we'll just figure all this out. We'll both get on the donkey. So they're both riding on the donkey, and they go to the next town. And the next town says, how mean are these people, both of them, on this donkey riding? And he was leaving town being seen by carrying the donkey, right? This old man and old boy were kind of carrying the donkey down the road trying to please whoever they came around. And there are churches and believers, but we have churches across the country taking polls to see what's popular and trying to please those people you know, out there to make sure they have lots of people in church. And I'm telling you, that church will look as ridiculous as an old man and a boy trying to carry a donkey down the road. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And they'll call themselves the bride of Christ, and they'll embrace everything their master has called them to reject. And before we start pointing too many fingers, we need to be aware of the tendency we may have to please people. We can't please everyone. And when we try to end up pleasing everyone, we start carrying heavy burdens we can never carry. Instead of looking to the Lord who says, my burden is light. If you come and listen to me, I'll take your heavy burden from you. And if we live for him, you know, we'll treat others how they want to be treated. We'll have the love of God flowing through us. We'll share the gospel with them out of love for the Lord. We'll tell them the truth in love. See, our, our, we have this unique desire to please one person, the Lord. False teachers want to please as many people as they can. And they'll talk about pleasing the Lord, but they want to say things. Paul, Paul will tell Timothy, they're like tickling the ears of their listeners. They're going to tell them what they want to hear that sounds really good, so they'll draw the crowd. But our desire needs to be different. The world tells us we shouldn't offend anyone by what you say. And Jesus, our master, says, if they killed me, what do they think they're going to do with my followers? So how, who are we going to follow? They tell us our chief desire is to make ourselves happy. That's what the world tells us. Scripture tells us our desire should be to please one. 
So believers in Christ, we have a unique desire. But Paul also tells us here in this passage, we have a unique message. His desire isn't only different than the false teachers, but his message is foundationally different. He says in verse 11 that the message was not according to man. Verse 11, For I'd have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It's saying this wasn't something humans made up. That's what this is mean. That's what not according to man means. In fact, that's how the new Amer- the new international version translates it. This message was not made up by man. If humans were going to make up a religion and they have over and over again, that religion would be how much can you do to please God? How many times a day do you need to pray? So let's 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 figure out a time, someone will say, and you need to pray three times a day. And then some dude will come along and say, you know what, you guys pray three times a day. I'm going to pray four times a day. Look how righteous I am. And the other guy says, yeah, but watch me. I'm praying five times a day. And it becomes this legalistic battle of how much I can do more than you. And it's, it's vanity. That is the religion humans create. And you can go through the history of human religion and you will see time and time again that even, even the, the, the Roman gods, it was like, what do I need to do to make sure the gods are not angry with me? But our gospel is different. Our gospel says there is nothing you can do. But God knew that he could send his son And then his son died in our place. And if we trust that work, the substitutionary death for us, we can be forgiven. It is not based on us. Our gospel message is not the same message that humans would made up. It's not according to man. And then Paul says it was not received from man. Verse 12, he says, For neither... For I neither received it from man. He's telling us here that he was not taught the way a Hebrew child was taught. A Hebrew child, a male Hebrew child, would come into the classroom and he'd be taught the, 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 the Scripture. And that's why a lot of the Psalms have these, they're based on the Hebrew alphabet because you could teach the alphabet by teaching the Word of God and it comes together. So these children not only learn how to read and speak, but they learn the Word of God. It's just ingrained in what they, what they uh, are taught, which is a good way to teach children that math is understandable because our Creator made a ordered universe. That science, we can look down into microscope and we can see these amazing universes that are down in, in, in this cell because our God is an amazing creator or that we can read and understand because God gave us a mind and helped us communicate and we can read, the, re, read anything, including the Bible, which reveals God to us. I mean, you just incorporate, incorporate your, your uh, spiritual beliefs into your children. And to be sure, your children in schools are learning a spiritual truth. It may not be yours. It's not based in Scripture, but they're being taught truth. Paul says, I didn't receive this from man. There wasn't rabbis teaching me to memorize this. And there wasn't, um, you know, the, the teaching of the Torah or, the, or the, uh, the Hebrew teaching that was from generation to generation teaching what the rabbis believed about this. He said, I received this directly from the Lord, he would say later. I didn't receive this through the process of transmission through a rabbi. I didn't receive it from any human. He even says in verse 12, he was not taught by man. He didn't receive it from man. And verse 12, he says, but I received it. Or Well, he says, neither did I receive it from man, nor was I taught it. No one taught him the gospel. You know, each one of us 
who are believers received Christ in some fashion. We, we heard somebody teach the gospel to us. If you have received Christ, you can look back and remember that there was a Sunday school teacher or a parent or a pastor or a, a, a person in the church who knew the Lord, told you about Christ, and you say, I believe that. But that's not how Paul came to know Christ. Paul came to know Christ in a very different way. He says in verse 12, he didn't receive it from man. He wasn't taught by man. He says in the last part of 12, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was walking down the road to Damascus on his way to destroy the church, whatever he could do to get rid of it. And Jesus Christ himself shows up, knocks Paul right on his rear end and says, who do you think you are persecuting me? And strikes him blind for three days. And he gets his sight back, and he is a changed man. Paul says that not only did I receive the revelation from Jesus Christ, but the content of the revelation was Jesus Christ. It's not I received some sort of message. It's that Jesus revealed himself and said, I am the gospel that he is the content of the message. Paul's saying that his message is unique because it didn't come to him through any human means. Jesus Christ came, and he had a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ, and he was changed. Now make sure you understand that's not normative today, to be walking down the road. You don't hear this this testimony too much. I'm walking down the road and I was struck blind because Jesus himself revealed himself to me and said, I have chosen you to go preach to the Gentiles. I mean, that's not the way people come to Christ right now. But with that said, with, with understanding that's not normative, when people come to Christ, they are powerfully changed just as much as Paul was. They are raised from dead to life. They are, they, they are blind, and then they can see, and they are powerfully changed. And that's our mission here. We want, we want our passion for Jesus to be so contagious that, that people have this face-and-face -face encounter with Jesus. When they come in contact with us, it, it just pours out of us so that they come to know Christ. So the unique message of the gospel, it's the same as it was in Paul's day. And the message is this. It is by grace through faith alone. Grace alone through faith alone that you come to know Christ. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher, he said this about our message, about the gospel. He says, never lose heart in the power of the gospel. Do not believe that there exists any man, much less any race of men, for whom the gospel is not fitted. There is no one you encounter throughout your week that the gospel cannot change. Anybody you come in contact with, the guy driving down the road with, I saw this the other day, the son of silence, uh, jacket on, tattoos down, the gospel could change him. By grace alone, through faith alone. The people at Walmart that are in line with you and you think, will that mom ever get her kids under control? The gospel can transform that woman and that family. For him, there isn't a person you encounter that the gospel could not change. And so can we get excited about a message that we've been given that if we share it, it could melt hearts of stone, it could transform lives and change generations of, of not following the Lord to generations of missionaries and pastors and Christian teachers and nurses and doctors that would change this world for Christ? 
What other message in the world that is as true now as it was 2,000 years ago and that it could, it could change any person at, at any time in history, no matter their race or their political views or their economic station or their country of origin, our message is incredibly unique and is the power of God unto salvation. So we have a unique desire to please one Lord, and he has given us one message. It is the most powerful and the best news anyone has ever heard. And then he says that we have a unique life. We have a unique life. Look in verse 13 through 16. I mean, we, we live differently than the rest of the world. We should. I mean, there are ways where, like everyone else, we go to work, we have to pay our taxes, we eat and drink, you know, we enjoy time with friends and family, but fundamentally, at the very foundation of our life, believers are different. We see all of reality different, like how the world works and what's going on behind the scenes, like in the spiritual world. And what's really at stake in the history of mankind? The world and all that goes on around us, we live a unique and wonderful life as believers. And describing this life, Paul first reminds us that, listen, we have a past. You know what? Everyone sitting here has a past. And if you're a believer, that past, there was a time where you weren't following the Lord and, and it was not maybe not the best past. I know it's true for me. If you met me when I was 20, you would not want me to be your pastor. I'm just saying. Paul says we have a past and his past was extreme. Look in verse 13 and 14. For you've heard of my former manner of Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. You know, we have a past, and our past does not define us, but our past is an integral part of our testimony. I mean, this man, Paul, tells the church that I used to persecute Christians. And the word persecute there, it means to pursue and hunt. And it's written in a tense that was continual and persistent action in the past. Paul says, and then I did this beyond measure. That he was intensely, uh, the word the beyond measure, it means to throw beyond. You might pit, see that quarterback who's, who's got a guy at the 10-yard line and he throws it and it clears the 10-yard line and goes past the goalposts and into the crowd. I mean, he's, that's what Paul says. I not only persecuted the church, I went as far as I could go and then I tried to go further. I hunted them down I jailed people, and I killed people simply because they believed Christ. That's what Paul says his past was like. And we read that. Listen to how he explains it in the book of Acts. In Acts 22.4, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Paul says, I don't care. Men, women, children, I'm going to get rid of them all. And then he says in Acts 26.10, And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Before he powerfully encountered Christ, Paul's driving desire was to rid the planet of this Christianity junk. He just wanted it gone. And he did whatever he could to do it. That was his past. And he says, my past was extreme. And he says, my past was zealous. It was very extreme trying to kill people for their faith. 
And he's also zealous, he says in verse 14, that he was just not this follower of Judaism. As a young man, he was going through it. He learned it. He knew it. And he was climbing the ladder, trying to get to the top of his religion. And, and then in, in society that he could have this influence and power. It was like an explorer that was going through the word that he's talking about there. It is, it is uh, verzealous. It's the idea of an explorer going through and, and cutting a new path. And, and taking the, the machete and cutting the branches out of the way so that others could follow him. Paul says, I am blazing a new trail in Judaism. That's how zealous he was. He was not going to let anything stand in the way of, of getting this cause of Christianity to impact his beliefs. That was Paul's past. And at one time, Paul defined himself by this. But that's no longer who Paul was. And like Paul, we all had a past. And it may not be killing Christians, but you know what it might be? I don't know. And it might be a very zealous and extreme past. But if you're a believer, listen to me, your past doesn't define you any longer. Paul is not, we, don't, we might say Paul was a murderer, but we say he was one of the most powerful missionaries the world had. That's how Paul's defined. He is a believer in Christ. Our past doesn't define us because Paul says what we hold to as well, that he was set apart and called. Look in verse 15. But when God, those are great words in scripture, right? Underline that, circle it, because this is what my past was, and then God showed up, and everything changed. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, had called me through his grace, and I'm going to stop there. God called him he set him apart and called him from the beginning. Paul didn't know this. Paul, Paul didn't understand that from the, very, from, the, from the minute he was conceived, God says, this child is going to change the world for me. We're reading one of Paul's letters 2,000 years ago because God inspired him, and we hear God through it. But he didn't know that was going to happen when he was in the womb. But God had set him apart and called him to do something more. Paul's past was extreme. But you know what? God didn't take that intensity away from Paul. He just refocused it. Paul is just as an intense promoter of Christ as he was a destroyer of Christ. I mean, he is going into cities, they are trying to kill him, and he gets up and walks to the next city. I'm assuming limping and bleeding, but he's going to go to the next city because he's just as extreme as he was. He's extreme for Christ, and he is zealous. God didn't take his zealousness away from him, just changed the focus. And so he was extreme, and he was zealous before he met Christ, and he's extreme and zealous after he met Christ. But the difference is the, the intensity is solely focused on Christ, not himself, not his works. He was set apart. God knew that this person that was going to be born was going to have this intensity. And he says, he is going to be awesome when he grows up and he's all sold out for me. That's going to be something to see. Now, I don't know how to explain all that, the, the death of the Christians, except there is, there is this time when Paul would not respond. But at some point in time when Jesus shows up, he is, he is changed he was set apart long before he was advancing Judaism. Set apart before he was born. God's hand was on him. And then Paul, Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and God clearly called him to serve him. 
We have a past, and if you're a believer in Christ, you've trusted in him. Your past doesn't define you anymore, but God has set you apart and called you. I don't know to what. That is, that is the Lord laying that on your heart and defining it, but I do know it involves and it will be critical to building the kingdom of God because that's what he calls us to, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and to teaching them to observe all things I command you. That is what he has called us to individually and as a church. We have, just like Paul, we have a past, but if we know Jesus, we are set apart and called, and that means we have a mission. We have a mission, look in verse 16, to reveal his son. He says, God, God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that, and look what he says, I might preach him among the Gentiles. God pulled us out of our past and put us on a mission for the future. And that future is to preach the gospel to those who need to hear it. The Jewish people, there was a church in Jerusalem, and they were hearing the gospel, and many were coming to Christ. 3,000 on the first day Peter preached. And it says the Lord was adding to that church daily all the time, people were coming to know Christ. Meanwhile, the rest of the world was dying without Christ. And Paul, God, God put on Paul's heart, you've got to go. This, and it's just so, so ironic. This guy who knew Jewish life, he understood the Torah. He was taught by some of the best teachers in Jewish life. He knew all this. And God says, take all that Jewish information and go to those who don't understand Jewish life at all. Go and teach to the Gentiles and teach them about Christ. And so our mission mirrors Paul because first we're to reveal Christ. He says he was pleased to reveal his son in me. When, when Paul was changed from a murderer to a gospel preacher, people realized something had changed, right? The world was saying, man, there is something different about Paul. And he says, that reveals Christ in me. When we have this past and we are changed from death to life, from blind to seeing, people see a change. Not long ago, I preached on Jesus healing the blind man. And you remember the blind man came back seeing and the neighbors said, is this the guy? And some said yes. And some said, no, I th it, it looks like him, but I don't think that's him. Because something had changed. And what he had physically changed is what changes in us spiritually. And people notice the difference and it reveals Christ in us. 1 Peter 2.12 says this to believers. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as an evildoer, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of his visitation. They're to see our life and see Christ in them. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that as they may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. So our lives should reveal Christ. We should look like Christians, which is a word that means little Christs. We should People should see us, and they should see what Christ is like. 
So does your interaction with those in, the, in, this, in our community, do they reveal Christ? Or do they know you as the crazy man on the road shaking your fist at them because they're driving weird? I mean, you know what I'm saying? What, what is your testimony just in how you behave? Do the, do the clerks at the grocery store run when they see you coming because you are such a grump and mean person that they say, I don't want to have anything to do with them? They should be attracted to us through Christ. But that's only part of our mission. And follow me, I know. It's almost 12, I know that. I'm going to get done. Hold on. One more thing. Just hold on with me. We are to reveal Christ. We are to preach Christ. 16, to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him. Paul was not called to be simply an example it wasn't Paul go into the Gentiles and just live a good life so people draw to me. He was to go and preach. The word preach here literally means to bring the good news. It was euangelia. It is, it is to preach the good news. It is the follower of Christ telling people the good news that Jesus came to give them eternal life. We're not to only reveal Christ in our life, but we have to use our words. That's what we tell our kids, right? Use your words, right? Use your words and, and talk about Christ. Romans 10, 13 says this, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news. If someone calls upon the Lord, they'll be saved. But Paul goes on, how then will they call on him that they've not believed? If they don't believe in him, they can't call on him. Then he says, how will they believe in him they have not heard, in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. You've been sent. As a believer in Christ, you've been set apart and called. You've been given a commission, a mission to go and preach the gospel to the world, to make disciples. You've been sent, but how can they hear without a preacher? And the preacher doesn't mean just me. It means me, but not just me. It means anyone who will bring the good news to people who need to hear it. Because if they cannot hear the good news, they cannot believe in the one that they can call upon and be saved. We have to use words. We have a mission to reveal Christ and to preach Christ to those who need to see and hear Christ. And that's our mission. We've been called out of our past and we've been given a new mission. Focus on the Family talks about a guy by the name of Tom Papania. He went from the mafia to ministry. His grandfather was a criminal who helped bring organized crime from Sicily to America. And when he was 10 years old, he was, it was during one of his beatings that his father would give him on a regular basis. He vowed he would never shed another tear as long as he lived at 10 years old. He toughened up and said, I am never crying again. He became a thief, an extortionist, a murderer, and he became the number two man in the New York Mafia, and he was cold and hard-hearted as a man could be. But eventually God began to speak to his heart because the gospel message can change anyone, even the second command in the Mafia. But Papania would refuse to listen. He didn't want God to have any power over him. He wanted to be in control of his own life. He didn't want God to be in control of him. And so he decided he would outsmart God. He said he was going to kill himself first. And so he pulled the gun and he put it to his head. And right when he did, the phone rang. And there was a man who was working with Papania, telling him about Christ. 
And he says, hey, I'm going to a service where they're going to talk about Jesus, will you come? And he says, well, God has no power over me. I'll show him. I'll just go to that service and show how little power he has over me. He walks in, and the pastor sees him and says, I want to say something to you, and I don't want to offend you. He says, the eyes are the window to the soul. And when you first came in here, I looked into your eyes, and all I could see was a little boy crying who wanted to be loved. And this exposed Papania's most personal secret, and he didn't want anyone to have that kind of power over him. And so when he left, he was going to come back to the church to kill the pastor. And he got there. He was not able to, and he started talking to the pastor. And he said, Pastor, if these people in the church found out who I was, they'd throw us both out of here. I'm a sinner. And he began to recount his sins. That's essentially confession, saying, I know I'm a sinner. And before he knew it, he was on his knees crying for the first time in 30 years, asking Christ to come in to be king of his life. He says this, I found Jesus. I've been searching. I've been searching for him all my life. And now that I have him, I'm not letting him go. And he went on to be a prison evangelist His life was changed by the gospel. And we love these kind of stories. We love to hear the stories of the radical transformation from mobster to minister. But the fact is, that change happens to anybody who comes to know Christ. It is the same powerful change that happened in your life if you're a believer. You came to know Christ and you were changed. You were pulled from your past and put on a new path. Moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That is your story. And it's just as powerful as it is this mobster coming to know Christ. And here's the best news that you have ever heard. If you are sitting here today and you have not received Christ, you can have that same transformational power today. If you follow this guy's example, confessing that I am a sinner, I cannot do this on my own. I surrender my life to the Lord's. And I want Jesus to come in and make me the man or woman that he wants me to be. I'm going to have you bow your heads. That is the good news for today And it's the message us believers are given to take to the world. We have this unique desire to please the Lord. We have a unique message that is Jesus Christ did all the work to bring us into eternity. And we have a unique life that we have been redeemed from our past. And it is no longer has hold over us. Because as believers, we have been called, set apart, and put on a new mission. So do you just struggle to be a people pleaser, or do you desire to please God? Are you following God today in the mission that he has called you to? Are you faithfully following him to wherever he would take you? Or has your life been arranged by you? Is there someone you know who needs to know the gospel? This power of God to salvation. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would you would work in our lives right now. God, for every person who is a believer, God, we are thankful for the transformation you brought us. And sometimes our past wants wants to control what we do today, and I pray that we would let it go and hold on to the the new life that you have given us. And God, I pray that as there are those who struggle with being people pleasers, God, we would remember that we, we have an audience of one that we are to please the Lord, you, 
And that means we are set on a mission to share the gospel with the world. Help us be faithful to do that. And if there's somebody here today who has never received Christ, I pray that they would would hear the freedom and hope that it brings and would turn their life over to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.